that to you. I did not want to do that to you. The down and ups, I tried to get here in time. I saw some of you halfway down. Um, that's okay. A little exercise this morning at church uh, will be good, I'm sure, right? Um, turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at and reading together to begin verses 26 to 29. This is the word of the Lord. This is God's word for us today, for Christians throughout all history. This is God's direction for us, church. Let's read it together. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Father, we ask that you would take these words that we just saw from your perfect and inspired and holy and life transforming word, we ask that you would drive the truths of this passage into each and every one of our hearts today. Help us to understand what your word reveals, and not only that we might know, but that we might feel, and that we might believe and be transformed, and that these truths would cut to our very hearts, change the kind of people that each and every one of us are, And we ask these things because your word is so powerful. Your word is truth. Your word sets the standard. So would you move our minds and our hearts and our will, everything about us to align to what you have for us in your holy and inspired word. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Where do you... Find your identity. Or maybe a better way to put it is this. What is it that you associate with, with, which also includes who you associate with as well? So what and who do you identify or associate with in your life? Think about that. Now, you all know to your disappointment of me that I'm a Chargers fan. I just am. So, no matter how much you'd rather me not be a Charger fan, it's just true. And, and I know that you just wish it wasn't true of your pastor here in that way. I get that, and, and I'm sure there's some amens reverberating in your hearts and minds right now. But many, 
if not most of you here, identify as Chiefs fans, and for good reason. That is what you are. You can't change that, and you wouldn't want to change it because you are proud of it. And let me assure you, you have all regularly let me know about that good fact about your life. You identify with other Chiefs fans as well, right? That's just who you are as Chiefs fans. They are your people. And don't forget, okay, since I've been here the last two years in the postseason, I've become a Chiefs fan with you during those times later in the year. And so I'm with you. Don't, don't be too hard on me, okay, as it relates to these things. But the point is, your identity reflects who and what you identify with or who you associate with. Isn't, isn't that just true about life? If being a husband or wife is part of your identity, that means your spouse is a big part of who you are. Praise God for our spouses. If being a parent is part of your identity, then your relationship to your spouse in parenting together, and then also your relationship to your children is a big part of who you are and what you do and what you identify. With. If you're a Gallatin Bulldogs fan, and who here isn't, we all are fans, then we all share in that same identity as Bulldogs fans and have a kind of like minded fellowship, even if you will, cheering for and caring about all things Bulldogs and sports and activities and these things, right? That's just what we do. Well, why is that? Because what we value, we find identity and purpose in and associate with. It's simple, right? Simple thought. We all know this. And in case you think I'm going to rebuke you for having identities, think again. For having these associations and identities is not at all a problem. For we all have identifications and connections to various people and things that are important to us. As husbands and wives and daughters and sons, as employees or employers, as sports fans, or maybe our diet and exercise regimens, or lack thereof, or even our hobbies. Yes, I'm talking to you, hunters or fishers. Or how about, do we have any, uh, I don't know, knitters in the house? Can I get an amen? We, we have different hobbies and things that we care about that we associate with people and things of that nature, right? You may be a, a hiker or a dog lover or, or for the few of you who are cat lovers as well. For, forgive me, cat lovers, right? Um, we identify and associate with certain things that we care about. We all have identities and identifiers and connections around the things that are important to us. The question this morning is not if you have various identities and connections in these ways, but for those of you who are Christians, if you call yourself a Christian here, the question for you is what is your primary 
identity? And how does your primary identity connect you with others who share that identity with you? This leads us back to our text and to our first point in number one, adopted union. Look with me, your Bibles again, to Galatians 3 and verses 26 and 27 for this. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So we all have many things and people that we identify with and associate with. But if we are Christians here today, we have an identity that rises to the top of all of our other identities. We have an association that is far more important than any other of our associations, according to this passage. If you're here today and you feel more connected with people who share your favorite sports team or your every political opinion or just opinion, if they're just like you, clones of you, if you will, if you just have more of a connection to people that are exactly just like you in every way than you do with other fellow Christians because of that very fact that they are Christians, then something has gone terribly wrong in your heart. And you may just not have thought carefully enough about the implications of what it actually means to associate as a Christian. So I want to help you. Rather, the Apostle Paul wants to help us see our primary identity here in faith in the gospel. He wants us to see that Together this morning. It's so important. The passage says, right, that we are all, the big A-L-L world, all sons of God through faith. The all there refers to every single believer who ever lived, everyone in this room, everyone in this town, everyone throughout the whole world. The all relates to every Christian. You may be confused about the language of sons, though, especially if you are a lady, because you may have been called many different things throughout your life, but usually son is not one of them if you are a lady, and, and for good reason. But, but here, in the context that Paul was writing, inheritance of the father's assets was given to his son. This is the context that we're in in the New Testament time. So when Paul calls us all sons, all of us, men, women, every single one, every Christian, he means that all of us, all of us who have faith in Christ are actually adopted into God's family and share in the full inheritance that is coming to us. Every one of us, men or women. And the way to be adopted by God is through, as we saw in the passage, faith in God, in Christ alone. And we've really been hitting on that aspect of salvation right through the book of Galatians, by grace alone, through faith alone. But now I want us to see 
that we actually become children of God through faith and that we are actually adopted into his family as well. Did you know that God adopted you as well? Not just justified you, not just forgiven uh, of all of your sins and declared you righteous before our heavenly judge, and that's a big, huge, amazing thing. Amen. We don't want to lessen that at all. But he didn't just justify you, but as David Platt helpfully put it, he says, in justification... The picture is legal. We stand before a judge who makes a pronouncement. But in adoption, the judge not only declares you not guilty, but he also gets up off the bench, comes down to where you are, takes your chains off of you. And he says to you, come home with me as my son. Glorious. Is there anything more glorious than that, I ask? A holy God who has every right to judge each and every one of us in hell for eternity because of all of our sin. Remember, we are cursed because of our many sins. But instead of receiving curse and judgment, we get saved and adopted into his family through faith in Jesus Christ. Not only are all believers adopted sons through faith, but notice that all those who have faith are also baptized, which signifies that we have put on Christ. As surely as you woke up this morning and put on clothes, you've put on Christ. We've already seen the glorious reality of our union with Christ so far in Galatians. Remember in chapter 2, I've been crucified in Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life that I now live in. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, this union that we have with Jesus because of what he's done. We are in Christ. We were in Christ even at his crucifixion. We were in his mind and heart as he died for us. We were in Christ when he rose again. We were part of his plan even then and even before the foundation of the world. He was thinking about you and me and planning our great glorious salvation. As as we didn't just all of a sudden show up in the history of time. But God had a plan beforehand for each and every one of us. And we had union with Christ even before we ever even knew it. What a glorious reality. Those of us who are believers now, we know it. Even more glorious to know these wonderful things. But our water baptism that Christians all participate in is usually done right after we believe. In fact, we will have an opportunity here soon in a few weeks, praise God, to witness a baptism here at First Baptist Church and kind of remind us all over again of our baptisms as well as we rejoice in God's work in saving sinners. 
rejoice in God's work in adopting and and saving, justifying sinners, bringing them into his family in union as they put on Christ. See, Christians are those who've been adopted by God through faith into the family of God, every one of us, and are then baptized to signify the fact that they are now on team Jesus Christ, putting on Christ for everybody to see. We saw this in our our baptism sermon that we looked at last year, and, and, and as well as sermons as it relates to church membership. We put on Christ's jersey in that way because we're in union with Christ. Each and every one of us identify as being Christians with a public proclamation of our faith and commitment to Jesus and that first public act that happens when it comes to this is, as the scriptures reveal, baptism. We believe and then we are baptized as a public proclamation of faith. Here's my question for every one of you. Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ to save you? And then, have you been baptized to symbolize that faith that you have in him? If you haven't, Pastor Wood and I would love to talk to you about these things. We'd love to hear from you and discuss more what baptism is and church membership and things of that nature. We'd love to clarify any questions that you have because you see, our initial faith is then followed really quickly by baptism because we want everyone to know exactly what we have experienced. We've experienced when we're saved being clothed with Christ. We are in union with him because of what he did for us. So we go public in baptism as we've seen. Now, some get this whole thing confused and wrong about baptism, get it backwards. Some even claim that it's baptism that we receive union and salvation and things of that nature, that baptism somehow saves us. But haven't we seen so clearly in Galatians up to this point? Isn't that the argument of Galatians so far that the way a person is saved or justified is by nothing other than faith alone in Christ alone, not even baptism, not even anything else, no works, no acts, nothing else will do but faith alone. So Paul simply couldn't mean that here. He couldn't mean baptism somehow gives you union or baptism somehow saves you. You know that that's not what Paul said because he said this whole entire book so far, this whole entire letter, he has made it painfully clear that it's completely the opposite of that. It's faith alone. As F.F. Bruce put it regarding Paul's own conversion testimony, as we even saw earlier in our series, he says, if he were asked, talking about Paul, where and when he received justification by faith, he would have pointed to the Damascus road at the moment when the Lord appeared to him. His baptism, which took place some days later, could have been no more than a seal of what had already happened there and then when he first believed, when he was saved. So while baptism is significant, it follows saving faith. It is not what causes 
us to be in union with Christ or to be saved. It's faith alone that saves and justifies, and we have seen it and will continue to see it. We all need to be reminded of that reality from Galatians. But does that mean that we should not proudly identify in and wear our so-called Christ jersey or put on Christ clothes for everyone else to see in that public proclamation in our baptism? No, it doesn't mean that we should ignore that. We should quickly and urgently desire to be baptized for a public profession of our faith to show everyone else that we are in union with Christ, adopted into God's family. So I hope you can see now why the opening question that I posed to you about our identity to get us thinking about these realities relates to what we're seeing in this passage. So I ask you again, what is your primary identity? Clearly, the answer so far here is that our numero uno identity is that we have been adopted into God's family as believers and are publicly clothed with Christ and in union with him as pictured in our baptism. How much, I ask, is your identity wrapped up in this glorious reality in your life if you are a professing Christian? How much is it? It must be all of our primary identities as Christians. It just has to be. What else could compete with those glorious realities that we just saw? So first things first, we are Christians before anything else. This leads us quite naturally to our second point and number two, diverse unity. Look with me now at Galatians 3 and verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now let me just say that this verse has been twisted and applied in wrong ways to justify many unbiblical views and to cause much confusion. Some have even claimed that this passage teaches that There should be no distinctions ever made about any Christians at all in any way ever in any shape or form or category at all, that there should be no distinctions, okay? They've they've jumped from Galatians 3.28, and they've come to these conclusions, but the problem with an interpretation like that is that the Apostle Paul, and those of you who've read your Bibles and are steeped in understanding the New Testament letters and Paul's other writing is that on more than one occasion, he actually not only talks about different distinctions, but he even gives positive teaching to Christians about these different spheres and distinctions of life. So, for example, Ephesians 5, for instance, he talks about different roles in the home amongst husbands and Wives, or in First and Second Timothy and Titus, he gives distinctions of men and women as Christians in local churches. 
And then we see even in, in, in Ephesians 6, he gives directions to parents and children, and he even goes on and he, he gives teaching and instruction to the early church and first century Christian slaves and masters. He talks about different things and applies things in that context. And Paul, as we've seen so far in Galatians, was an apostle who went to evangelize Greeks or Gentiles, remember? And he saw them as such. Likewise, Peter ministered to and evangelized unbelieving Jewish people, and he also saw them as that way as well. As we've seen even in this very letter, he's talked about Jews and Gentiles, correct? So it's not that Paul was teaching that all distinctions were somehow eradicated, but that when it came to this whole adoption and justification topic and being saved by Jesus, that all people, no matter what gender or ethnicity or social status, that all people were equal at the foot of the cross, as one preacher put it. The famous and well-known pastor and author, Tony Evans, agrees And he put it this way. He said, Paul is not saying that these distinctions cease to exist. He is saying that in spite of our human differences, we are all unified because we are one in Christ. No one is superior to another or anyone else before God. We all share equally in our relationship with him through Jesus. Thus, The Galatians didn't have to keep the law and undergo circumcision as the Judaizers insisted. They didn't have to become Jews first in that way. And that's Paul's clear point here. We have unity even in our diversity. Jew, Gentile, male, female, slave, free. He wasn't going against his other teaching because Galatians was written before and then he wrote these other things after. Ephesians was written after Galatians. Colossians was written after Galatians. He's not going to contradict what he said in teaching about those topics. He didn't do that at all when he talked about marriage or church leadership or even the very hard to grasp now understanding of slavery in the New Testament times. Now, the ancient practice, I have to say a word on this to bring clarity here because there's much confusion and it's hard when we read about these types of things. I want to help us understand what's going on here as Paul was writing. Slavery was much different than, than in our modern understanding of slavery that we have learned about in our recent history in the atrocious African slave trade. And to be clear here up front, all slavery is wrong. But in the New Testament times, just to clarify, this practice was so persuasive. And let's just say in that time, it wasn't going anywhere anytime soon. Paul had to address Christians that found themselves in this context. And also, New Testament times, slavery around the New Testament in the ancient world, it also wasn't racially motivated as we commonly think of slavery today. 
There have been times I've heard and read things of, of somebody who willingly went in, into certain aspects of slavery for a better economic uh, stature and situation and, and in a, better, um, a better, better spot. Now, not all slavery was like that, but, and, and it's more like in the New Testament times and around the, the early church and things of that nature. It's more like an employee-employer relationship than what we commonly think of, but Obviously, in the case, there was no freedom in that relationship. And there were still hard and difficult circumstances that Christian slaves were under as it relates to these things. But it was so pervasive to this time, so it would make sense that Paul would speak to that social economic issue and that we'd hear about that in the New Testament. And this is what the New Testament teaching is on it, Paul basically calls Christians on both sides of the divide in other passages as well to act Christianly and to love one another and treat one another as brothers and sisters of Christ regardless of social status and situation. So the book of Philemon, have you ever heard of the book of Philemon? In the the New Testament, for instance, is written on the topic even and it addresses the context of slavery and introduces principles of love and unity amongst the slave Onesimus and his master at the time Philemon. As Timothy George put it, hear this, hear the impact of Christianity historically. Hear the impact here. He says, Paul's instructions to Philemon certainly carried within them the seeds of the dissolution of the very institution of slavery. So we see that these principles were consistent and even instrumental in the later eradication of the practice of slavery altogether, this gospel understanding and approach. It transformed relationships. But in the meantime, while it was pervasive, these principles helped in this universally practiced time to bring unity even amongst some of these difficult situations. The main point here, though, is that in all of the diversity that we can ever think of, that's a lot of diversity that we just mentioned, that he mentions in this passage, all the differences that we would have amongst us, that there is unity in the one faith and one gospel of Jesus Christ, even amongst all that difference and diversity. So Jews and Gentiles came together and were saved, as we see in Galatians, by the same promises of God through faith in Jesus, just like Jewish believers were saved as well. Even though people would understand and know that there were people that were Gentiles and Jewish ethnically. It's not like people were not aware of that, even Christians. Men and women are equal in gospel realities in all ways, even though there still remains male-female distinctions and awareness masculinity and and femininity are still intact. The Bible talks about men and women. Men are are men and women are women from a biblical worldview. But they are equal and equally saved in the same exact way. No disparaging amongst genders in that way. The verse and understanding should create a kind of unity in us that extends beyond all differences of every kind that we might run into. You want to get rid of racism today or any kind of ethnic superiority at all? Well, we've seen the answer here in Galatians 
3.28. That gospel unity and oneness explodes and get, gets rid of any idea of boasting and favoritism or racism. All of us get saved the same way. All of us are dependent upon the same gospel, no matter our background, no matter our ethnicity. You want to weed out sexism of any kind and a kind of machismo, machismo and harsh thinking and, and rude jokes and bad and harsh thinking towards women. Gospel unity and oneness is the answer for all are unified in Christ. Do you see that? On the other hand, if you want to get rid of radical feminist ideas and worldview that is so unbiblical and so against what the Bible teaches, what's the answer? Gospel unity and oneness. It's the answer to all of these things, all of the differences. You want to get rid of classism or pride and social status and boasting in what you own or where you work and things of that nature. It's gospel unity and oneness in Jesus Christ alone. All are equal in Christ None are more or less saved based on any form or status or anything else. We can't boast in anything in any of these ways. That's the point. Boasting is killed. Gospel unity amongst us all, regardless of our differences. Therefore, church, we can each and every one of us stop competing and start mutually edifying in all things and encouraging one another, and working together in our church and community and and in our lives, no matter our background, no matter our gender, no matter our jobs, no matter our skills, no matter our age. There's unity in the gospel. And we should seek to display the unity and love amongst ourselves to show the oneness is in spirit and the way that we're one in Christ above all of our other affiliations. What a testimony it would be if we were more unified in the gospel than anything else. We may be huge fans of a particular team, but more importantly, we're one in Christ. We may do things that maybe guys might do or girls might do. We may be men or women in different ways. And we are, but we're one in Christ. We may have this or that job or be this or that age, but we're one in Christ. We may comb our hair differently, dress differently, enjoy different kinds of foods, or come from different ethnic family of origins, or have different skills, or like different music, or enjoy different hobbies and pastimes, or be from different generations. But we are all what? One in Christ as believers. Our unity is displayed even all the more gloriously in the midst of our diversity. Because what is going to bring all these people that are different together under one roof to worship into one church community to to be there for one another and to be a spiritual family? What's going to do that? What's going to explain that other than the powerful gospel of Christ that we share in that amazing unity? Do you see how it displays Jesus? It displays God's glory and work in wonderful ways. Let's see that even more closely 
And clearly in our final point, and number three, Christ's family now. Look with me at Galatians 3 and verse 29. Now for this, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Church, if we can get a glimpse of this glorious reality, it will change everything about us and amongst us. This is exciting news that we're seeing here at the end of Galatians 3. Do you see everything that we've been seeing so far in Galatians kind of coming to this passage in Galatians 3.29? We can put aside our differences and we can literally ignore all of our other associations and identities. I, I say that kind of tongue in cheek, not ignore those things that are true of us, but just care a lot less about those things and a lot more about this primary thing that's true about us together. And I say this to you all, if, and that's a big if, because not all who profess faith in Christ really have Christ as their highest value. Or to put it better, Not all who profess Christ are Christ's, as this passage puts it. Did you hear that language? This passage says that Christians are not their own. They are Christ's. Jesus Christ is their Savior, and he's also their Lord. He's the one we look to. We are his. He's the one that they find their ultimate identity in. Every Christian does. If you don't find your highest identity in being in union with Jesus Christ, might I suggest something to you today that maybe you've never considered? It's possible if that describes you that you are not his. Because if you are his, that means that you have actually placed your faith in him and have put on his jersey, so to speak, to identify most essentially with Jesus and the gospel. Any nonchalant, half-hearted profession of faith in Christ, you see, if that's you, you find yourself on the outside looking in in this whole equation that we just read. It doesn't describe you. There are not two ways about it, church. Either you find yourself in union with Christ as your highest and main identity or not. Don't fool yourself. If you're on the fence about Christ and wondering if, other things are more important to you, primarily, foundationally, then I call you now to place your faith in Christ alone as your primary 
and most foundational identity. Now, I want to be really careful here, church, because there are sensitive consciences who may doubt their salvation regularly and always wonder if they're good enough or if they believe and trust Jesus enough and if he's high enough priority in their hearts. And I want to be sensitive to consciences that lean in that way. And I want to remind you if this describes you, but the whole point of justification that we've been seeing in our Galatians series is just that. None of us are good enough. Cling to Jesus now if your heart is conflicted here. Whoever you are, make him your most central identity now. Or rather, if God has gotten a hold of you, and if you're a Christian, God has gotten a hold of you, He has you in his grasp. No matter how weak your conscience might be and how much doubt that you have, he has you as a father holding his son or daughter in his grasp. God will keep you. God is there for you. He wants you to see the glorious realities of trusting Jesus as the most primary identity. He wants you to turn away from other things that might distract that in terms of a primary identity. But God, if he has you, God is going to keep you. He's going to hold you. He's going to care for you. This is not about us mustering up enough faith in and of ourselves and how good we are and anything about that. No, it's about God and his work in his dear children's hearts. We need him. That's the point. But I do want to point out to all of us here the fact that if we are Christ's, then the culmination of all that we've been seeing in Galatians is true about each and every one of us. The promise of Abraham in Genesis 15 that we've seen, the promise of the singular seed, the singular offspring fulfilled in Jesus Christ, our Lord, makes us, no matter our history of origin, or ethnicity, or gender, or social status, no matter what, how our age, it makes us adopted sons of God. Children of God. Heirs who will receive the glorious good news inheritance of the promise. And we're all together in this, Christians. Every single believer that's here is together in this. And every believer all over the world, in every country, and even in every generation, and through the history of the world, young or old, regardless of their background, if they are in Christ, if they've put on Christ, if they've trusted Christ, those of us who find our primary identity, our primary association in Jesus Christ are Christ's as well, and we're his family. And we are family. This means that you should have more in common 
and have a deeper allegiance to a Christian brother or sister in Christ, no matter what their skin color or their social status or their age, you should have more allegiance to them than you do unbelievers who might share hobbies with you or a favorite sports team or social interests or even the very same last name if they're not Christians. More united to believers because they are fellow adopted believers, children of God. They are true family. Is that true of you? Do you prioritize Christian fellowship with all Christians? Do you see them as family? If not, it's because your primary identity is in something else. And you have raised up allegiances in other areas to higher priorities, and you esteem those things more than you do the very gospel of Jesus Christ. You esteem it more than that gospel that should unite us all with others who share in that same association, that same identity. So my charge is for us all to put aside our differences and ensure that our Christian identity that we saw in our first point, adopted and in union with Christ as pictured in our baptisms, actually leads to diverse relationships and unity that we saw in our second point and impacts the way we connect with others as Christians, no matter the differences that we have in various ways, no matter the age, the gender, the ethnicity, or the economic status. For as we just saw here in our third point, Christ actually makes us family. Literally adopted. Full rights kinds of family. Our adoption papers make us actual brothers and sisters in Christ. No matter our background. We're related in this way. And as we will see next week, even more, we have an inheritance awaiting us together because Christ has made us his. And he has given us all that he has earned and accomplished for us. He's preparing something so glorious for his family, for believers. And as Abraham truly did have many sons, had many sons, had Father Abraham. And I am one of them, and you are one of them, if you're a believer. And as we, as believers together, are truly Abraham's diverse offspring. Let's go to that great God and Father who made us family in prayer as we close together. Father, we are so amazed and thankful that you have done all these wonderful things that are just too hard for us to fully grasp. We all certainly know that we don't deserve it. And we all certainly also know, Lord, that we are fully dependent upon you for all these great things. And so we do worship and thank and glorify your name above everything else. And we also do so together as family. God, would you unite all the believers here in this room 
Would you unite us all together, truly as family? Would you help us all to put you and our identity in you through Christ at the forefront of our hearts and minds, even right now as we sing songs of glory and certainly as we leave from here and go about our lives, let us not forget the great work that you've done for your children. We say this in Christ's name, amen.